I'm going to do that hooker warning right here because really we do need to have one, right? We yep. do at the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. In the description to do too. Do we need to do it the um, American, this American life way? Yes, yes, yes. Somebody needs to do an Ira voice. This next story acknowledges the presence of sex. <laughs> For an edited version, you're out of luck. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. It's Tis the Podcast, back for another week of That's What She Said and general hilarity and Christmas movies. Trying to keep the Christmas spirit around all year long, even with questionable movies like the one we're talking about tonight. But to get into that later, I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tom. Did y'all get your pumpkin spice today? I didn't. So can I just say, I was like really chomping at the bit to get one so all three of us could have posted a picture with them on the same day and I couldn't make it work and I'm devastated. You still need to post a picture when you get your first one. I will. Did you, so the one you were drinking, Tom, was that an iced? No, that was the new... Pumpkin cream cold brew, and I don't. Yeah, that's it. what I meant. Not iced. That's what I meant. Cold brew. Yes, I don't Does recommend it. it. Oh, you don't recommend it. No. Oh. So those of you who've listened to the show in the past know I don't like pumpkin spice, but every year I try it in the hopes I will like it because I feel left out every year. And this year I finally do. I've trained myself to like it. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I have. So now I can be a basic. Like the rest of the world. Oh my gosh, that's, that's exactly what I do. I, I really? love the smell of beer. I also like the first two drinks of beer, <laughs> and after that, I'm like, nope, that's it. It's all I want. I'm done. <laughs> do you know what turned me? What turned me on to beer? I did not like beer at all, or thought I didn't. And a friend said, like, no, no, go out and try one beer with me, and let's let's see. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I had a Murphy's Irish Red, and I have been hooked and a lover of beer ever since. I wish I still didn't like beer. That's when I gained all my weight. I used to drink all the hard liquor and then got on the beer and... You don't gain weight on hard liquor? I don't know. Not as much sugar or something? I mean, it's. I think it's just a little, generally a little bit healthier. It's a lot more, You drink a lot more to get where you're going? In, in England, I never drank beer yeah, because they serve it warm. Um, so I didn't go to a single pub where it was warm. It was all like... Really? Mm-mm. I wonder if it's changing. Maybe. They should change. Warm beer is disgusting. Um, so speaking of the beginning of fall at Starbucks. Oh, man. Today, I at home made my quintessential fall dish for the first time. Which is? Did you make? Cincinnati chili. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati chili. Never had it. Really? Do you know what it is, Anthony? No. Oh, share, Tom. It's like, so it's usually made with spaghetti, but I made it with zoodles. Made some zoodles up for it. But it's served over spaghetti, and it's a uh, chili that has a strong, it's got cumin, it's got coriander, it's got chili powder, but it also has a lot of cinnamon. So it's got a really cinnamony flavor. It is so good. Yeah. I did not know. I did not know what this was until I moved to Oklahoma. We don't sell we don't sell Cincinnati chili like the seasoning in Oklahoma at all. Like I make my own, but mm-hmm. it is huge thing for at Kroger. So you it's it's at every Kroger store because they're based in Cincinnati. If I ever do fly out to Oklahoma and visit, you'll have to make it for me, Tom. I would be happy to. As long as it's fall, or do you make it year round? I don't. Uh, it's one of those things. that's chili is just straight fall, and this is the chili that I needed. I do love chili in general. 
but it wasn't quite cool enough, but I just, I couldn't hold it off. I'm like, I need to feel, I need, I need the fall feels today. There is a turn it, in the weather. After it's, our it's, near tornadic weather last night. Yeah. This morning was a perfect weather for pumpkin spice. Woke up and it was like 55. Still semi dark out by the time I leave for work. So I was like, this is perfect for the first pumpkin spice of the season. But so now nice. it's 80s and 90s again the next two weeks, I think. So sad. I can't hear that word said alone <laughs> without thinking of Donald Trump now. It's like, <laughs> that's, man. That's immediately what I thought of too when I escaped my lips. I knew as it was coming out of my lips that it was the wrong <laughs> This was interesting. So Ethan came home with homework today and it's for his history class. And so on one side of the sheet was 10 items from his life, like pivotal moments that he remembers. And then he had to give the other side to one of his parents or both. Marty and I did it together on 10 things that happened in our lifetime. And the lists were had a little bit of crossover, but we both had saw Donald Trump elected president on there. 9-11 was on there. Columbine was on there for us. Parkland was on there for him. So some sad things, but I also put the series finale of Friends. Uh, I remember MTV when they were music videos on there regularly. I remember dial-up internet because it was a thing, right? We all had You're to struggle practically through. on it right now. Equal, yeah, I am. <laughs> I've been listening to a cool podcast, and you just hit two of the first four episodes. It's uh, oh, really <laughs> history of the '90s. It's really, really interesting. But they have a, a an amazing episode on uh, Columbine. Yeah, stuff I didn't remember. Like, did you know they had enough bombs to take out 500 people, but they just malfunctioned? Yep. No, I didn't remember that. See, I didn't remember that either. Um, there was a lot I didn't remember. They, they were talking about a, a guy who lived on the neighborhood who like, like a neighborhood street adjacent who let 20 kids in to his house to hide and they could see over his fence. They could see what was going on at the school. So there, there's an, um, it's a, but they also have an episode on friends and the friends episode is way cool. I learned a lot about friends that I did not know. Like David Schwimmer's character, Ross was written for David Schwimmer, Schwimmer because the <sighs> creators had had him read for another show they were doing and they liked him so much that they wrote Ross for him. Oh, uh, Joey wasn't supposed to be dim-witted, but Matt LeBlanc played it that way and they were hesitant to use Matt LeBlanc, but one of the producers said that's the kind of guy who's going to get better with every episode and so they hired him. Uh, NBC did not want to do the um, coffee house because they didn't think people understood coffee house culture at all. They wanted to move it into a diner and the, the writer said no, but NBC did choose to change the color of the couch at Central Perk. Courtney Cox was supposed to be Rachel, but she didn't want to do Rachel. Yeah, I knew that. Monica's character was originally based on Janine Garofalo from Reality Bites. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a cool... You should check out the podcast. I recommend it. There is a good book on Columbine by Dave Cullen. That's... uh, He he won a prize for it. He wrote another one on Parkland recently. Check it out. It's it's very informative and historical and... uh, I learned all that stuff from that book. So that that event, I remember we were juniors in high school, and that event shaped the rest of my high school experience. How I looked at the world. Yeah, that was one of the most earth-shattering events for me. Since we're on depressing topics right now, Julia, do you want to tell us what movie we're doing tonight? <laughs> Not really. So tonight we are talking about 1983's Trading Places. Dark Comedy, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy. It's a pretty familiar movie, although I'd never seen it. But let me do a quick plot synopsis and then we'll go over histories because I think we might all have the same similar history. So plot synopsis. Louis Winthorpe is a businessman who works for a commodities brokerage firm of Duke and Duke, owned by the brothers Mortimer and Randolph Duke. Now they bicker over the most trivial of matters, and what they're bickering about is whether it's a person's environment or heredity that determines how well they'll do in life. When Winthorpe bumps into Billy Ray Valentine, a street hustler, and assumes he's trying to rob him, he has him arrested. Upon seeing how different the two men are, the brothers decide to make a wager as to what would happen if Winthorpe loses his job, his home, and is shunned by everyone he knows, and if Valentine was given Winthorpe's job. 
So they proceed to have Winthorpe arrested and to be placed in a compromising position in front of his girlfriend. So all he has to rely on is the hooker who was hired to ruin him. I have to make a correction to that synopsis. They did it in front of his fiance, not his girlfriend. Yeah, not his girlfriend. I don't know. He hadn't proposed yet. Oh, yeah, he had proposed. Yeah, he had. Yeah, he had. A wedding date. That's and right. she dropped him like a hot potato for a guy she, she was been. already with. That's right. Who's the hooker now? <laughs> Still Jamie Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do histories before we talk about our cast. Can I go first? Absolutely. I ain't got one. <laughs> uh, Anthony. Uh, so this is a movie I was always aware of, and I knew it had a very good reputation, but I had never seen it until tonight yeah copy paste that's exactly mine too like i've seen this this video cover i remember seeing it at blockbuster right and people talk about it it's i mean it's a landis movie so it's definitely something we've heard of but i had never seen it until today which is so we all went in blind that's crazy that never happened we all (laughs) that never happens you're right um okay so let's before we get into our general feelings (laughs) of this movie Let's talk about some of the bigger credits because, I mean, these are not small names in this movie, like at all. So the movie was directed by John Landis. This guy's got a ton of credits to his name, especially in the 80s. So he's known for An American Werewolf in London, The Blues Brothers, National Lampoon's Animal House. He did Twilight Zone, the movie, which that movie freaked me out freaked me out when I was a kid. That thing on the on the airplane wing. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, yeah, and every time I'm on a w- in a window seat on the airplane, I always am afraid to look out. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. He's also known for Michael Jackson's Thriller <laughs> music video, um, Coming to America later down the career after this movie, and Beverly Hills Cop 3, Blues Brothers 2000, lots of Michael Jackson hits. Since this is a Christmas podcast, he also is known for a few episodes of Psych, the TV series. One of them is a Christmas episode we'll probably cover at some point in the next year or two. So this movie and coming is takes place in the same universe as Coming to America. I can see that. Ah. Because Mortimer, the character of Mortimer, is that his name? Mortimer Duke? Yep. Yeah. Appears in Coming to America, played by Don Amishi. Same character. Huh. I did not know that. There's some definite resonance i've seen coming to america i'd never seen this one which is backwards from how they were released but when i was watching this one i couldn't help but not see eddie murphy and coming to america in a few parts so our writer or one of our writers timothy harris he's got some interesting credits to his name as well he's known for trading places obviously brewster's millions y'all remember that movie Mm -mm. y'all ever see that one um i think i saw that one he also wrote twins did y'all see twins Yes. Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Another Arnold Schwarzenegger screenplay he wrote, Kindergarten Cop, which I know we're all fans of here. It's not Um, a tumor. Known for Space Jam. (laughs) Y'all Space Jam fans. Is he writing the sequel too? Did he write the sequel too? (laughs) It doesn't look like it. His most recent writing credit is in 2016, um, Kindergarten Cop 2, which I can't say that I watched. (laughs) Uh, I, for one, I know Tom is clearly not a fan, but I loved Space Jam as a kid. I remember it being quite the jam when it came out. (laughs) Oh, I tried watching it recently with Ellie and it was just, oh, the aliens, everything. It was just bad. Yeah. So it looks like the other writer credited Herschel Weingrad is just his buddy in the writing of all of these. So they must work as a, as a team because he's also credited with twins, kindergarten cop, um, Brewster's Millions and Space Jam as well. The The writing in this movie was lacking greatly. <laughs> like massively lacking. It, it was the, awful. I don't know how the, any of these guys ever got rehired again. I, I mean, especially when you compare it to Twins and Kindergarten Cop. I just don't, I was going to save this for a general discussion, but I don't understand how this movie is so critically acclaimed. No. Or, it, no. Well, so you know how there are movies that ride on the cast. This could, this could, you might be able to explain that away with this one because the cast is really pretty great. 
Um, so we've got the two main characters really that are primarily featured are Dan Aykroyd as Winthorpe. So he's the stuck up, you know, white rich guy. And then we have Eddie Murphy who plays Valentine, who's the one that gets pulled out of poverty by these awful old men, terrible, awful old men. Beyond um, racist. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy movies. That's what I was going to ask. What are your favorite Dan Aykroyd? Well, we'll start with Dan Aykroyd. What's your favorite Dan Aykroyd movie? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yes. Please tell me that was in unison like it was here. Oh, that was epic. I just watched uh, Casper recently, the 1994-94 movie with Christina Ricci. The Friendly Ghost? I love yeah. Casper. And I forgot Dan Aykroyd is in there. There's a scene with him coming running out of the house as a Ghostbusters like, don't call we us. Call. Not me. Not me. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Bill Pullman was in that movie too. That had a good cast. He was. I was. I didn't remember that, of course, because um, I, you know, last time I saw it, I was a kid and I wasn't really into actors. But yeah, I was. Yeah. I was surprised to see him. Well, we're unanimous on our favorite Dan Aykroyd. Well, what's your favorite Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy then? Oh, I'm not a big Eddie Murphy fan. <laughs> me either. I'd have to go with either Mulan or Shrek. <laughs> I really like Daddy Daycare. Oh, that was cute. That was cute. But that's not where my mind goes when I immediately think of... Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, me either. Uh, He was in the sequel to Twins. He was in Triplets, right? Are you serious? Did they ever make Triplets? I didn't even think they ever made it. That sounds terrible. Because I remember they kept saying they were going to do a sequel and have one of these black comedians as the third to Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, it's in pre-production. Okay, wow. I knew I'd read about this, but I haven't seen it. Um, I, he has so many awful movies, though. I mean, so many awful movies. Growing up, my I was not allowed to watch any of his movies, and I see wa- watching this one why. But his family yeah. movies got kind of cute. Doctor Doolittle, Daddy Daycare. Oh, um, I did like the first Doctor Doolittle with him. It was cute. The Haunted Mansion. Ugh. That's a fun movie. I liked I it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I wanted like a. The Guillermo del Toro version, the Disney Pass. Oh. That would have been a dramatically option. different movie. It was an option. And, oh, uh, they need to do that now. There's been enough right? time, space, and one is definitely for kids, and one would definitely not be like specifically for kids as a target. It would be for those same kids, but when they're grown up, right? Exactly. So it's y'all remember? Y'all remember the movie Vampire in Brooklyn? Nope. No. It was a Wes Craven movie starring, I think it was Wes Craven, starring Eddie Murphy. And it was, um, it was awful. I mean, just <laughs> terrible. Oh, let me look it up. I mean, I, I did think to America was good. Uh, yeah, it's got a tomato meter. Vampire in Brooklyn has a tomato meter of 10% and an audience score of 31%. It was bad. Oh, that's bad. But Eddie Murphy tried to be like seductive on the front of the cover. I remembered when I picked it up in a... At Blockbuster, oh, and I didn't like it very much. Speaking of seductive. Also in this movie is Denholm Elliott. <laughs> not who I was going to <laughs> I have to mention him because he's Brody. He's Marcus Brody from the Indiana Jones movies. And when I saw him, he's the butler in this movie. And when I saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Marcus Brody. <laughs> and that made me happy. Um, he's also known for A Room with a View and it uh, looks like he, the Born Identity miniseries. Oh, in 1988. That must be British. That must be Probably. British. Um, and he's known for a lot of other very British-y type things. Um, I don't have to stretch my brain to picture him as a classically trained actor. So um it was neat to see him in this, um, especially since I've only ever seen him in Indiana Jones. So that was fun. Um, also, the other two cast members, three cast members to mention, would be our two terrible, awful, terrible, terrible people, the two Duke brothers. And One is o- Ralph. O- Ophelia. <laughs> and Ophelia. Um, so Ralph Bellamy is one of the terrible... <sighs> One of the just terrible characters. Um, and he has 194 credits to his name, spanning from 1990 at the most recent, which looks like he was in Pretty Woman, another movie that featured a hooker. And it goes all the way back to 19. 
31. So to say this guy is not well acted is a lie. Is just a lie. We need to put a hooker warning at the beginning of this episode, y'all. <laughs> I don't want to get. I don't want to get Twitter hate that somebody had explained to the child what a hooker was. Mommy, what's a hooker? <laughs> the other terrible, horrible, no good, very bad character is Don Amici, um, who can I just say looks completely different in his older age than he was in his younger age. Like, right? He, I don't know that Walt, these people are the younger. same. He looks Walt Disney-ish in his younger age. He really does. Yeah. Um, so Don Amici has 94 credits to his name. Um, looks like his most recent stuff was 94 before he passed. Nothing after he passed, which was shocking. And then he started back in 1935. Well-acted people, definitely some chops. And our last person to note, and this was a total surprise to me, I had absolutely no idea that she was in this movie, but Jamie Lee Jones is in this movie as well. Nope, you want to go back but and read that? You said her name wrong. What'd I yeah. call her? Jamie Lee Jones. What's her name? I was, looking at, I was looking at Robert Earl Jones is in this movie. Is he related? I mean, he looks like him. Sorry. The last person to mention in the movie is Ophelia is played by Jamie. Whoa, Lee hold on. Sorry. That's yeah, his brother. It's his, it's the father of James Earl Jones. That's James Earl Jones's dad. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's I mean, shocking though, right? Yes. I always thought James Earl Jones was always old. I didn't know he had a dad. <laughs> Either. <laughs> yeah so jamie lee curtis total surprise did y'all were y'all surprised when you saw her in this too so christine I and i had a disagreement when she came on i was like that's jamie lee curtis and christine's like no that's carol burnett oh my gosh looked, and i was like so we had to look it up because i was like that looks but I, the voice is what got me but she yeah. looked just like carol burnett yeah the wig um and as i was saying to you guys off mic that i knew she was in this due to the movie scream and that is also how I knew that she would be uh, exposing herself in this movie. <laughs> Which happens. <laughs> so, it happens. Yeah. It happened. If, you, if uh, I haven't fact-checked Jamie Kennedy's character from Scream, but if you are to believe him in that movie... She played virgins in films up until this point, and this is the first film in which she, uh, you know... Virgin oh, to Hooker. That sounds like the title of my, bio- my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> no what's that joke they always make on brooklyn 99 that's your name of your sex tape yep <laughs> oh that one's good all right so this movie is set at christmas wait 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 wait, wait. Can we, we forgot to mention james? james belushi's cameo by the way oh is that worth mentioning i don't know i was excited to see him jim belushi's always worth mentioning yeah, so Jim Belushi is also in this movie, a teeny tiny part. He's dressed as a gorilla half the time um, and actually gets, <laughs> well, no, he doesn't get knocked out by the gorilla. gorilla that's the other guy. Um, <laughs> oh can I? Okay, we'll get Yeah, to I it. don't even with that one. Well, we'll I, can I just say, though, when, that, when the quote-unquote real gorilla showed up on screen, it literally <laughs> took me like five minutes to realize that wasn't supposed to be a guy in a gorilla suit. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Token shout out to my Orthodox brother, Jim Belushi is Orthodox. What's your favorite Jamie Lee Curtis though, real quick? Probably Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the Isle of Mi- Island of Misfit Toys. Ha 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 ha. I don't even get Minus, that joke. That's the direct-to-DVD sequel. 2001 oh. awful film. Awful, awful, awful. True Lies. Or True Lies, I mean, yeah. I really liked her in Freaky Friday. Oh, I love That's yeah. such a good movie. That is such a good movie. I think I'm about to go with that one. Back when Lindsay Lohan go. was adorable. Oh, what happened to her? <laughs> Hollywood and drugs. I'm going to go for the quintessential Halloween shout out. Halloween, Halloween and drugs is also the title of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other people we need to cover before we get into this? No, this movie's terrible. <laughs> Can we just leave it at that and call it a night? So I feel I like mean, I've wasted enough time on this movie already. I don't know about you, but I, I really had not just the reviews being fairly generous, right, across the board in lots of different places. I was hopeful that this would be a really good movie, like some gem I'd missed out on all these years, and I that was not what I got at all. Nope. It doesn't live up to its reputation at all, like the really word-of-mouth reputation. It's really surprising because it is, I mean, I usually do like Dan Aykroyd a whole lot. 
I mean, it's like you said, Julia, when you were doing the cast. It is a talented cast. cast of actors, yeah. Plus Eddie like, Murphy. But, like, I don't know. Like, for an early 80s movie, like, there are lots of great films in the 80s that still hold up. This one just felt so dated to me. Yeah, it did. Um, I'm going to talk about the problematic nature of this movie. This movie, I we can call it a product of its time all day long. But the things that I had wrong with this movie, the racist undertones were inappropriate at the time. I mean, they were using, it was cheap humor. It was definitely a racist movie. There's no two ways about that. It's, I, I mean, I guess you, the people that really like it probably argue that it's very self-aware in its racism. Maybe, I mean, but is that- The bad that guys a, in the movie are amplified to be bad because of how racist they are. Yeah, not again, I mean, not, I've seen movies do that a better way as weird as that sentence is. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. But I mean, yeah, they, like this one was just I've seen American bad. History X. They do a lot better job of that. The critics called it, this is social, an appealing social satire. But I don't think they did a good job at it myself. I don't either. I know that's what they were going for, but just hearing the language they were using, the, um, there were still a lot of stereotypes that came into this that seemed, feel, felt racist to me. I, I don't think social satires are successful when they rely so heavily on stereotypes, just like straight flat across the board stereotypes. No, they're like, okay, we've got this rich white dude. Let's uh, trade him places with somebody who's really bad and poor. Oh, let's go get this random black dude. And then let's make black culture look awful in every aspect of this movie and not have, I mean, it was just bad. By the time Dan Aykroyd walked onto that train in blackface, I was just shaking my head in disbelief. Oh. SMDH. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the whole movie, I kept saying to Sarah, I cannot believe this. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, yeah. this movie would never get made nowadays, for sure. Yeah. I, I listened no, to Aziz Ansari's no recent um, stand-up stand up special on Netflix. But uh, he talked about the, the, the difficulty in dealing with problematic movies and judging them from a 2019 standard. I feel like if I remove myself from 2019, I still find this movie offensive. I, I don't think they needed to use the N-word repeatedly in it either to show these guys were bad. They were doing enough other stuff. So uh, for those that have not seen Trading Places, the gist of the idea is we don't. have this... Snu- well, don't. But we always do try and rehash the movie a bit so people that maybe don't want to see it at least get the general idea. And there is some redemption at the end of the movie. And we have to talk about it enough to discuss whether or not it's a Christmas movie. So the movie is set at Christmas time, pretty darn close to Christmas time. I mean, the Philadelphia is the setting and it's decked out for Christmas, even though it's got the trademark early 80s filthy look, like drab tans, not a lot of color in any of the clothes, and like wet, dirty. Uh, disagree. Um, I'm sorry. The Christmas lights were bright, but like none of their clothes were. It's a bunch of trench coats. Disagree. There was one scene where Eddie Murphy was wearing a Bill Cosby sweater. (laughs) (laughs) On the beach. I know. I'm like, what the heck? He's on the beach. He looks like Bill Cosby. (laughs) (laughs) And all I can think is, man, I know you're going for like a Christmas feel. You want a Christmas sweater in here? Because that was a thing. But come on. He's on the beach. Dan Aykroyd's character is real stuffy. He's a commodities trader. He works for the Duke brothers and he's, he's got his life all in order. He has a butler and nice cars. And the whole opening scene of this movie is the juxtaposition of wealthy to not wealthy, which as far as this movie translates is white and not white. Yeah. I would argue that not only is Eddie Murphy's portrayal of it's not only offensive to and stereotypical of negatively stereotypical black people, but also poor people too. Yeah. The way he was begging on that street for cash. Like, I don't know. I've never seen. Um, I did chuckle a little bit when the police officers lifted him up and he still kept his knees bent. (laughs) (laughs) He tried to wait them out. So Dane Aykroyd's fine at his job. He's commodities trader. He works for the Dukes, and he he's not doing anything wrong. I mean, it's not like they look to get back at him for some mistake he made in a job, right? So he no, delivers. No, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's pretentious, 
Oh, I'm gonna push well, no, he's, he's not. Got, I guess he is. He is he, racist. He accuses Eddie Murphy of stealing his wallet or whatever. His, his briefcase. briefcase. You're right. You're right. Yeah, they trip across each other, and Eddie Murphy ends up with his briefcase in his hands. And Dan Aykroyd's character immediately jumps to he stole it, and yeah, so he's a terrible person in that moment. Um, that's part of where the redeeming comes up, as, as he does come around a bit. But it's like this reaction that drives these two terrible Duke brothers to stage a social experiment where they're basically, they say, one of them says, the way we are is a product of our environment. And the other one says, no, it's not, basically. Basically the nature versus nurture argument. Right. So the two brothers conspire, like conspire. They go to great lengths to take everything away from Dane Aykroyd's character basically saying he'll turn to crime just as a result of, you know, having heels have to, that's what human nature would be to turn to crime at the end. And then they give everything to Eddie Murphy's character saying, you know, the nurture that basically like we can turn him into just as successful as Dan Aykroyd's character was. Um, so it's this terrible social experiment that wrecks Dan Aykroyd's life specifically. And we watch him unravel the rest of the movie. Jamie Lee Curtis's character ends up being, you know, his savior a little bit because she's willing to take him in. Um, She's a prostitute, but she doesn't have a pimp. So she's on her own. She's making her own money. She has saved $42,000 already. She has. Can I just say, I did laugh. So he, she takes him back. She takes him back to her house you know, uh, gets naked in the bathroom and says, not everything is for free in this house and shuts the door, like implying like, you know, if he wants the sex, he's going to have to pay her. Or even then, to see her. Yeah, or to yeah. see her. But, but then when he's sick, she just takes off her top and climbs into bed to cuddle with him to make him feel better. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah that's... Mm, I, mm, I don't know about all that, y'all. Also, an affection does grow between the two. Because Dan Aykroyd right. softens a bit, right? He 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 does learn from his experience of not being filthy rich and pampered um, all the time. But he gets very bitter as well. And there's just a terrible scene of him in a Santa suit. And he is desperate. <laughs> and it is the nastiest Santa I've ever seen. It it's is. One there's one it. funny part I thought of his Santa thing. When he puts the entire smoked salmon down the front of his shirt. <laughs> I'm... I'm- I did laugh at that. I'm going to raise a question Sarah asked during this scene. And she was like, this is clearly a Christmas party for like the 1%, but they don't notice this dirty, ragged Santa walking around. Nobody yeah. stops to wonder that if he's supposed to be there. Well, they probably just assume they hired a Santa and that's how everybody who's not a rich white dude looks. Well, at them, well right? that was my, that was my, what, my answer <laughs> to her. She was like, but like a dirty one? Come on. Would they notice a difference? <laughs> I mean, that would I mean, he does he does slide down chimneys. That would also mean they'd have to take time to look at him and acknowledge him as a human being, right? They'd have to actually see him, not just look past him. Which they clearly don't do. <laughs> so Eddie Murphy's character thrives. He, he, he takes to the trading thing. He, he, he's doing a really good job in his job, and he's really responsible, and everybody's, well, everybody. The brothers are super impressed with how he's doing, and... Once they see the breakdown Dan Aykroyd has suffered, which includes him holding a gun to their heads and trying to stage the downfall of Eddie Murphy's character, they basically say, well, bet's over. The, you know, product of your environment is Guy Wan. He won the, the buck bet. And they call it off. But they will not give Dan Aykroyd his life back. They'll just ruin well, yeah, Eddie Murphy. So that, and this is where Eddie Murphy overhears that it was all a scheme. So he knows the jig is up and basically that leads to him and Dane Aykroyd coming together to get back at the Duke brothers, basically to do exactly what they did to them and to take all of their money in some way and force them into this poor lifestyle as well. So before we get too far from something you just said, I just want to, you mentioned Eddie Murphy thrives in his new life. And I did appreciate that um, the movie didn't go the stereotypical uh, Mr. Deeds Arthur route besides the first, except for the first day he has money. Like he actually like 
you know, they didn't do the whole, he wasn't immature with the money the entire time. He quickly adapted to being a responsible adult type thing. You know what I mean? Was that genuine though? Does that seem believable to you? I thought it seemed believable when he was in his office working late doing the checks. He seemed to really know what he was doing and like enjoying it. That's what I mean. Does that seem believable to you? How would he know about the, like he just starts on his first day. He's like, well, nope, this isn't what you should be doing. They're like, oh, okay, let's listen to the new guy. On, who knows well, nothing okay. about in the pork belly? I mean, like... But maybe... Okay, so maybe it wasn't believable, but I appreciate they didn't go the cliche Mr. Deeds, Arthur okay. type route, which you've seen a million times and somebody comes mm-hmm. into my... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, when I win the lottery, I'm going the Mr. Deeds, Arthur route, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the end of the movie where we get a little bit of an uptick and for me it was it was the thing that almost justified watching the rest of the movie almost (laughs) was the trading room floor scene so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're commodities people and so they keep talking about frozen orange juice being a big deal and that's how they're going to make all this money and they basically hijack their report that was going to give the Duke brothers this insider trading information and they swap it out and gave them some bad information. So when it comes time to hit the trading room floor, the Duke brothers think they've got everything in the bag and so are behaving one way. And in fact, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy's character, who I have not referred to them as their character names once, but it's because I don't. (laughs) um, Enough to learn their names? They... (laughs) They stroll up on the trading room floor as well and basically counteract all of the trading and they steal essentially all of this money as a result of the Dukes having bad information. And that puts them in a really good position. Additionally, with Ophelia and Indiana Jones Brody character, right? Because they're kind of all in it together and working together because they know these are terrible people. And it puts the Dukes in the poorhouse. I mean, they're out $394 million in $1983, which is a lot of dollars. So they're wrecked at the end. And I felt vindicated that Uh, they got comeuppance. Yeah. They could not have happened to two worse people. Yes. They're awful, terrible people. Terrible, terrible people. So we kind of glossed over one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. What part? That? One of the only parts I enjoyed. I enjoyed the train stuff until Dan Aykroyd showed up in blackface. blackface. I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, Eddie Murphy and his getup and Jamie Lee Curtis and her getup and the uh, Indiana Jones guys and his getup just coming into the car to annoy the uh, principal from the breakfast club and I enjoyed all of that. I like how we're just describing these people by what they've been in besides this movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I found all that amusing until Dan Aykroyd walked in in the very, very racist blackface, and then I just, like... We just moved past that. Like, nothing happened. Like, it's okay. Hey, this is in blackface. It felt so early Saturday Night Live to me. Early. Like, even predating Dan Aykroyd early. That's fair. Well, I mean, a Saturday Night alum, Al Franken. Right. I don't know. That was just the feeling I got was... And even the color of... The set was the same color as the set when Dan Aykroyd was on there. And it just felt very Saturday Night Live to me, which can be yeah. good and bad. Just depends on what year you're talking and who you're talking about. <laughs> Any favorite quotes from this movie or scenes that stood out to you? It ain't cool to be so jive turkey so close to Thanksgiving. That was one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> I didn't know what I, I don't really understand it but the guy just said it in such a way that i'm like man that guy's way too jive you need that girl from airplane to tell you Florence <laughs> what that was. <laughs> oh it just felt so racist this is the second movie we've covered in which uh we see a pre-9-11 new york skyline and they focus on the yes. world trade center and it still makes me feel a little eerie but. Yep. um i don't i don't have any favorite quotes Neither do I. So are we in agreement this is not a Christmas film? Yes. This is not a Christmas film. Not even to mention the fact that this came out in June. So I don't even think it was trying to be a Christmas film. 
But it's so confusing to me because in Italy, the movie has become a Christmas Eve classic being broadcast by Italian television every year from December 24th, 1997. They're Italian. It's a weird choice. Yeah, I know. It's a weird choice. I don't know. Dirty Santa. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely a darker comedy. I mean, they had a few scenes on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but I felt like... It was really that week between Christmas and New Year's the movie took place. Yes. Yeah, it felt more New Year's-y than it did Christmas to me. Plus, I didn't feel like a lot of it, it didn't even, like some of these non-Christmas movies we say are in Christmas movies just set at the holidays. Like, at least they look sort of Christmassy. This one didn't even feel that way to me. Not even when they were outside, the snow scenes weren't, I don't know, nothing mm-hmm. about it just felt like Christmas. Mm-mm. Planes, trains, and automobiles felt more Christmassy to me, and that's a clearly that takes place a month before Christmas. Yep, not a Christmas movie. <laughs> no quotes, no favorite scenes. Well, I did want to bring up that uh, because of this movie, there is an Eddie Murphy rule in American law. What does that, what does that mean? mean? The Eddie Murphy rule, as it came to be known in Congress, later came into effect as part of the Wall Street Transparency and Accountability Act of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, which dealt with insider trading. So there's oh Eddie Murphy rule. Thanks for this movie. Thanks this movie. <laughs> Thanks for something. I, are we gonna, I feel like we're going to get <laughs> a lot of strong disagreements. Oh, I think week. we're definitely going to get disagreements, which some of the, I wonder if we had seen this in the 80s initially, right? And we had some nostalgia running on it. Like we had, had, snuck under the door when the climate was vastly different from how it is now if we weren't millennials watching this I mean, with yeah basically eyes, yeah i don't know i don't know because i kind of go back to what you said earlier tom earlier in the episode about how even at the time <laughs> a lot of this wasn't okay but maybe right. we viewed it more as the social satire they were trying to be which i think maybe failed watching it now but Maybe. I think a lot more stuff used to fly than it does nowadays. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Maybe. so are we ready to rank this movie? Yes. Coming in at a point six, y'all. Ooh. I am going to go with a two. I'm going to go point four. Yikes. That comes in at a solid one. <laughs> <laughs> a solid one. So where does that put down the list? I will tell you. A solid one puts it at number 55 on the list between I'll Be Home for Christmas and The Christmas Project. Okay. I would rather watch I'll Be Home for Christmas than this. Mm, Me too. Yeah, I would too. Maybe not. I don't know. That movie was so bad. I'll put it this way. I would rather watch I'll Be Home for Christmas around Christmas and this movie around Christmas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know from our listeners... um, If you if you greatly disagree with the rankings we've given it tonight, why? And I would I would like the writer on top of that question to be when did you first see it and how old were you? Guys, I feel like we need a little pick me up after discussing this movie. I need to pick me up for sure. So what is your quintessential I said mine at the beginning. What is your quintessential fall meal, y'all, that you make only during fall and at the beginning of fall? I like oh. butternut squash soup. Oh, that is yummy. Julia Gulia? Well, so fall is usually when I when I turn back to drinking hot coffee instead of cold brew. So that okay. always feels very fallish to me, that my drink is hot instead of cold. We're not quite there yet, are we? No, I'm still making my cold brew on Sundays and enjoying it all week long. <laughs> I can never so. do the, co- the cold stuff. Like even in the heat of summer, I always go for the hot coffee. You know, I find cold brew so funny because as a kid, everybody harassed my grandfather because he would make a pot of coffee and just leave it and drink it hot or cold. And everybody's like, I can't believe you drink cold coffee. And I was like, yeah, we all do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like now we're, you know, his was like a quarter a cup. Now we're paying what, like five bucks to get a cup of cold brew nitro. (laughs) So can we talk for a minute about that Disney Plus movie, Noel, the trailer for that? Let's do that. That's a great pick me up. It looks epically hulky oh it it looks so good looks so (laughs) so cheesy i'm so in it cheesy in the best amazing although 
I'm glad it's not getting a theatrical release like it was originally planned. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't look. Theatrical. Oh, the, 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 it was the, originally the, planned for that. Yes, and the CGI looks a little spotty for a theatrical release. That little reindeer, oh, yeah. that little tiny reindeer. I'm, I saw the tra- that bothered me. I was like, I hope this is another elf situation. Elves situation. Did you yeah. Did you find yourself having a crush on Anna Kendrick for the first time? I've always had a crush on Anna Kendrick. I yeah. have not. And I told Christine, I'm like, great, now I got a crush on Anna Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the costumes and the North They're Pole. They're beautiful. Oh, man. Yes. I agree with Jerry Davila, who raised a concern. He's never a fan of when Santa has children, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Well, he's I'm not interested. Santa anymore. Like, Santa has us, by the way the movie goes, Santa has us. Well, okay, two things. Santa has a, has a sister at the end, but uh, Santa Claus Santa had children. But they weren't children when he was Santa. Okay, I see what you're saying. I'm talking yeah. to myself through this one. Who, um, what's her face plays? Um, Shirley MacLaine. Trying to figure out who Shirley MacLaine was playing. I just assumed Mrs. Mrs. Claus, but who knows? So it's like a her and her mom going out to find son slash brother. That'd be cute. Which would be awesome because a lot of these Christmas movies focus on the father and son. Yeah, so mother daughter would be super fun. My question but, is, is she going to become Santa at the end? I don't yes. know. I really wonder if Noel's going to. I think that's obvious. I'm calling I think it. that's where it's going. It's well, it's a gender bender. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't know. I sit, I share Jerry's proclivity for Santa not having children. I really liked in Santa Claus the movie that they couldn't or just didn't have children, so they adopted the children of the world as their own. I did like that too. I'm excited about it. I am yeah, too. I'm looking forward to it. I'm straight up excited for that Disney streaming service. Oh, me too. And the pricing is incredible. Now they're all saying if you get two, buy two years up front, you get the third for free completely. Oh my gosh. Well, who's not going to do that? It's only like $6.99 a month. Exactly. So guys, did you see we got two new reviews this week? I did see that. Yeah. The first one is from Ava182 who reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. They said, I've heard about this, but finally gave it a listen a couple months ago. Wanted to give it a fair chance before writing this review. The hosts are fantastic and really work well together. They take a look at all the Christmas movies and shows that we love or don't and provide a fun experience to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. Ava182, send us your mailing address and we're going to send you some swag. Thank you. Thanks, Ava. So much. That was an awesome review. It made me happy knowing that we are fantastic, work well together, and that we are living up to our goal that Anthony set for us, which was keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. Even when we talk about movies like Trading Places. Ugh. Okay. And we've got one more. So we also heard from Crespo Wild Boy um, in a review that says, I love talking about Christmas entertainment whenever possible. However, not many of my family and friends do. This group slash podcast makes me feel welcome. Well, you are welcome to be a part of our friendship tribe anytime you like. For we sure. Will, we will accept you for who you are. And send us your mailing address, too, for some free swag. If you want free Tis the Podcast stickers like Ava and Crespo are going to get, leave us a review on iTunes. Every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year. I can tell we're hitting fall. You know how? Our social media is exploding. Like Reddit, I can't keep up with the conversations. Like uh, we're getting, so, everything's getting comments. When we talked about Shazam, we got, you know, 10 people talking. We had somebody post about obscure Christmas movies and we ended up with 16 comments. It's just great. Same mm-hmm. thing. Everywhere I look, our social media is just doing really well. And the only thing it is missing is you, if you're not there right now, faithful listener. We recommend, I recommend you come check out our social media. Just go to whatever social media platform you like, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Reddit. Um, and the way you can find those is going to tisthepodcast.com slash Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and you will find us there. And check out tisthepodcast.com in general. It's up to date now. Thank you, Anthony. And keep your eye open for some swag, because that should be coming soon, right, Tom? Working on getting a store set up. Do you want to announce the next two weeks we're doing? I do want to announce the next two weeks. So if y'all want to get your homework up to date and join us back here in the next two weeks, we're going to be covering next week, Love the Coopers. Fairly recent movie, right? Last few years? 
And then the week after that, after much insistence from our European buddies that like to listen, namely Disco 54, we are going to be covering Robbie the Reindeer, Hooves of Fire, Legend of the Lost Tribe, and Close Encounters of the Herd Kind. I'm actually really excited about that. Have you guys seen Robbie the Reindeer? No, I haven't. Nope. Really? CBS shows every year. I'm surprised. Oh, I did see a little snippet last year because the they made me uncomfortable. The- the belly buttons and the breasts on yes. the female reindeer, yeah. The belly buttons make me <laughs> oh, very I think I trauma blocked that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be curious to see what you guys think of that one. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm excited because of how close we are to Christmas. We are only 2,568 hours from Christmas. <laughs> That's only 107 days. That is only 15 weeks, y'all. Or roughly three and a half months. Oh my gosh, when you say it that way. It's crazy. It's insane. Mm. So close. Thanks everyone for listening. Go watch your depressing movie for next week. Bye everyone. (laughs) Bye guys. (laughs) Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought me some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm And the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you'd love me so Let it snow, let it snow and snow I prefer my hookers to be more of a Julia Roberts variety than a Jamie Lee Curtis variety for ranking our movie hookers. (laughs) That'll be a Patreon episode one day for those who subscribe. We're gonna gonna dedicate a whole episode to ranking our top 10 favorite big screen hookers. Good night, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really grab me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying. And my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.